Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. I want to welcome you here to Graceland Church. If I don't know you yet, my name's Nathan. I'm honored to be our lead pastor. Before I get into the message, I want to share a little video I received from the producer of the Jesus Revolution movie. He's become a friend, and him and his brother created it together. They're also the brothers that created uh, I Can Only Imagine, an underdog, and a number of other movies, in my opinion, doing really quality artistic worth, work with, for the Christian faith, but in the general market. So he recorded a little message for us and our church family that I wanted to show you. His name is Andy Irwin. Hey, Nathan, and everybody at Graceland. Uh, it is Andy Irwin here, producer for the film Jesus Revolution. It's in theaters right now. I just want to take you a minute to say, like, God, God is moving in a way that we haven't seen him move in theaters in years. It is just revivals breaking out. There's uh, people that are preaching in front of the screens at the end of the movie, uh, and just, you know, people are coming to know Christ. And it's just, it's fantastic to see what God's doing. And I just want to say thank you guys for being a part of that. It's been an amazing weekend. And, um, and I've gotten text after text from industry people just saying, what the heck is happening in theaters right now? What is going on with this movie? And I'm just like, guys, the church happened to this movie. The church is doing what the church was meant to do, and that's getting out, spreading the good news of the gospel to their community. And it's just like watching this sleeping giant do what it does. And it, that started way before um, this movie you know, came out. It, was, it started with this Asbury revival that spread around the country to 30 other college campuses and is still going on. And we just got a chance to come alongside it with this story of a revival that happened 50 years ago. And it just, there's no way for us to have predicted the timing. It's God. And uh, so guys, we're excited for you guys to be a part of that. If you haven't seen it, take somebody to the theater, some, especially somebody that doesn't know the Lord, take them tonight because it's, it's an amazing experience. You have to experience it in the theaters. But we want to tell you that we love you and that uh, we appreciate what you guys do. Thanks for partnering with us. Nathan, thanks for leading well. God bless you guys. Isn't that cool? Be praying for Andy and his brother and the team, uh, the director, Grant McCorkle is also another local guy here. And the thing about spiritual awakening and revival is, yes, part of it is in gatherings like this where we are renewed and revived in beholding Jesus, but then it transforms us and actually changes the world. Like my dad got saved as a young man around 23 years old as a result of a bunch of hippies that met Jesus in the Jesus movement during the Jesus revolution that that movie is about that came from Southern California and spread over to Long Island, New York, where he was a kid traveling on the, as a drummer and going to destroy his life. And it set these seeds in his heart and he came to know Jesus. It forever transformed his life and my life and my kid's life and revival and awakening transforms us. So I want to encourage you, don't just go see it. Do go see it in the theater because it will support the movie. Think of it almost like giving to missions. <laughs> now, I know that I can't fully say that because lots of people have their hands in the pot, but I feel almost a little convicted. I loved the movie Top Gun that came out. You guys remember Top Gun? Big fan right here. And I had a bunch of different people I wanted to see it with, and this is a shameful confession, so don't judge me, but I saw it five times in the theater. Five. Therefore, I've seen Jesus Revolution now twice. I've got to go see it four more times so I demonstrate that I am more devoted to the Jesus Revolution than Tom Cruise. You know what I'm saying? 
So let's get behind Christian artists that are doing really beautiful and meaningful work. I really encourage you. The reason his industry friends are texting him like that, that he told us about on that video, is because they're amazed at how it's doing at the box office already because the church is showing up. So go see the Jesus Revolution, but be the Jesus Revolution. Be reinvigorated and behold the wonder of the risen Christ and let him transform you and then it transforms our world. Today I want to talk to you with the, about this question. What is happiness? There's a Harvard professor, his name, is, his name is Arthur Brooks. He would ask his students a simple question on their very first day of class, what is happiness? And his students would always have an answer with the word feeling in them. For instance, it's the feeling of being with people I love, for example. Wrong, he would answer. That's like saying your Thanksgiving dinner is the smell of the turkey. Happiness is not a feeling. Rather, feelings, feelings are evidence of happiness. But it still begs the question, what is happiness? There was a study done by the Oracle Happiness Report that was a global study where they interviewed tens of thousands of people. And they said that 45% of people say they have not been happy in over two years. And they related that to the COVID season. Same study, around 25% surveyed, said they don't know or have forgotten what it even means to be truly happy. 88% surveyed are looking for new experiences to make them smile and laugh. And 78% said they're willing to pay a premium for true happiness. I can relate to that. I feel like I'd be very willing to pay a premium for things that I know would make me happy. It seems like happiness is an ever-fading commodity that we're willing to do almost anything for. And the good news this morning is that there's a word used in Scripture over and over again that actually means happiness, but it actually means something far deeper than happiness as well, and that's the word blessed. When Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, you might be familiar with it, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That can also be interpreted, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the title today is The Unexpected Path to Blessing. I'm gonna use the word blessing for this message because that's the biblical word, but you could also think of this as the unexpected path to happiness, the true, deeper kind of happiness, joy, And we're going to study John 13, verses 1 through 17. Jesus is at the end of his earthly ministry. He's done incredible things for three years and proclaimed the kingdom of God. He's called his disciples. Crowds are following him everywhere. There's upheaval wherever he goes because the religious system is threatened. And he's sitting down during the Passover festival with his disciples to share the Passover meal. And we're going to read the full 17 verses at the beginning of John 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Right there in verse 17, Jesus explained an incredibly important biblical principle, and it's number one in your notes. Knowing something is not the same as doing something. He said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so what that tells us is it's possible to know about Jesus, but not actually know him because there hasn't been application of our knowledge. I remember when my wife and I first arrived in Nashville with our kids, Clay was still uh, inside Jess's belly, <laughs> and we knew that God led us to this area from Los Angeles, but I almost immediately started wrestling with God about why he sent us here as church planters when there are so many churches here. I would meet people up in Nashville because my whole thing was come and meet a bunch of people, share the good news, build a team, plant a church. We didn't bring a team. We knew no one here. So it was all new relationships. And sometimes I would share with someone, hey, we feel like God's called us to plant this church. We'd love for you to be a part of this story. And they would say things like, oh, uh, my cousin planted a church just down the road. Or, you know, they knew what church planting was. And a lot of them were connected to churches already. That was newer territory for me because in Los Angeles, we barely met a Christian much less anyone who knew what a pastor was, never someone who knew what a church planner was. And so I was just thinking, why are we here? And don't hear me wrong, we felt and still feel completely certain that God led us here. But nonetheless, I was wrestling with God, why do you have us here where there seems to be so much more saturation of Christians and certainly of churches? And one of the things he really spoke to me, and I didn't hear his voice audibly, but he made it so true in my spirit, he said to me, Nathan, can you reach people who were just like you? Meaning, I grew up in the church. I grew up as a fourth generation pastor on my mom's side. Of course, I didn't know I was going to become a pastor, but I am a fourth generation pastor. I grew up basically born on a pew, you know, like my kids are growing up now, just around the people of God all the time, and I'm so thankful for that. Yet I did not know Jesus until I was 17. So my knowledge about God, I could quote scripture all day long. I could impress anyone in the church as a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old kid about my scripture knowledge just because I was immersed in it constantly. And God still uses that in my life. But it didn't mean I knew him because my application, had, I'm sorry, my knowledge had not become application and changed my doing. It doesn't matter 
if you've been raised in church. It doesn't matter if you have a Bible degree. It doesn't matter if you've taken every class in your church. If your knowing doesn't become doing, you can actually miss everything. You can miss the invitation. This is why I think sometimes we get exhausted, bored, discouraged, or angry. We lose sight of the beauty and simplicity of our first love and actually following Jesus. Another way to say it is number two in your notes. It's important to know what Jesus teaches, but your life changes when you do what Jesus teaches. So keep learning, but apply what you learn. I heard someone say once, and I believe it's pretty true, many of us are educated far beyond our level of obedience, meaning we're just around the things of God. We keep learning, we keep reading, we keep hearing sermons, we keep studying scripture, but if we don't follow up with obedience to what God is calling us to do, we can quickly be become the person that knows much but follows little. So what is Jesus teaching us to do in this passage? Two key things that I believe, based on scripture, are the only path to blessing, to happiness, and to joy. First of all, we see that he wants to wash his disciples' feet. In verse six, he came to Simon Peter. Simon said, understandably, Lord, are you serious? You're gonna wash my dirty dogs? That's what my kids called feet. (laughs) Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. And understandably, Peter says, no. You can't wash my feet. And then Jesus drops the mic with this statement, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So Peter switches from saying no to saying do more, not just my feet, do my head, do my hands, do everything, Lord. And we need to understand the context of what foot washing is in biblical times to really see how significant this is. I'm gonna read a number of times in this sermon from David Guzik, who has one of my favorite Bible commentaries called Enduring Word Commentary. It's all online if you ever wanna check it out. But this is from David Guzik on this passage. This was an extreme act of servanthood. According to the Jewish laws and traditions regarding the relationship between a teacher and his disciples, not even a teacher had the right to expect that his disciples would watch his feet. So it was absolutely unthinkable that the master would wash his disciples' feet. Foot washing was a task designated only for the lowliest. Yet Peter had to accept this from Jesus. He became a pattern for us. If we do not accept the humble service of Jesus to cleanse us, we have no part with him. Peter preached the good news of the kingdom and cast out devils in Jesus' name and still needed his feet washed. Peter saw Jesus transfigured in his glory together with Moses and Elijah, an amazing spiritual experience, and still needed his feet washed. Peter's own feet walked on the water in an amazing act of faith and still needed his feet washed. This foot washing was a powerful lesson in humility But it was more than that. It also shows us that Jesus has no fellowship, no deep connection with those who have not been cleansed by him. And so for us who are not with Jesus physically like Peter was, it doesn't clearly mean physically wash our feet, but it's a metaphor of what he does for us and what our response must be. Number three in your notes, the path to blessing begins with accepting the cleansing work of Jesus. And to really understand the significance in context, I would add to that, including the dirtiest and most shameful parts of your life. It can be hard sometimes because we don't even want God to see those parts of our life. 
but that's why it's so powerful. The gospel, this good news of Jesus, calls us to come out of hiding. You see, we are actually more sinful than we can comprehend, but in Christ, we are more cleansed than we can comprehend. It's both end. It is the initial cleansing and washing through Jesus and what he has done that leads us into this great salvation, but it's the repeated accepting the cleansing of Jesus on our dirtiest parts, the feet that are worn and torn and have been through some years and walked down some wrong paths and stink that no one wants to touch. It's like Jesus says, give me that. You're mine. You cannot step into a life of blessing apart from accepting the cleansing work of Jesus. And again, I would submit to you, this is daily. This is more than daily. You must accept the good news of Jesus if you want to step into the kind of blessing that he has for you. So what areas in your life would you be embarrassed about if anyone knew? What is it that you find yourself wanting to hide Those are the very areas that Jesus wants to wash. And we are often resistant to this because it just seems too incomprehensible. And we find ourselves like Peter saying, are you serious? You accept me there? You wash me just as I am? Yet this is the only path to salvation. So I encourage you, if that's you today, say yes to the cleansing work of Jesus. He he may be calling to you right now. You may sense him walking up to you and stooping down to your feet just like Peter did. And if you want to walk in the life that God has for you, you have to say yes to that. And it doesn't end just there. There's another essential step in the path to blessing that he then talks about beginning in verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He says it so clearly in verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. McLaren says there are too many of us who profess to be quite willing to trust Jesus Christ as the cleanser of our souls, who are not nearly so willing to accept his example as the pattern for our lives. So Jesus couldn't be clear. The example that we are called to follow, if we want to know this blessing and happiness that only comes in this way, is to wash one another's feet. Now, in the same way that Jesus washing our feet is actually talking about something much deeper, it's fine to wash each other's feet literally, but it's actually much deeper than that. Guzik says, anything we do for each other that washes away the grime of the world and the dust of defeat and discouragement is foot washing. The simplest way to describe foot washing is serving. Anything that requires you to do the humbling work of the lowliest among us for the sake of others is foot washing. So the path to blessing, the only path to happiness The only path to joy starts with accepting the cleansing of Jesus. And then number four, the path to blessing continues by serving others. There is no other way. We learn to actually live this life to the full as we learn to have a vision beyond ourselves. It's the shift 
from me to we, from project self to project us, from the vision for me and what I can get to the vision for others and what they can have. Just last night, as I was falling asleep, I was just spending some time in the Lord's presence. It's a great way to try to go to sleep, by the way. Get some scripture in your mind. If you can't sleep, try to think about scripture, memorize it, talk to God. You don't have to be up here at an altar. You don't have to be walking. You don't have to be singing. You can be laying in your bed trying to fall asleep and just say, Lord, remind me that I'm with you and in your presence. Speak to me tonight. And I was doing that last night. And I honestly got beautifully just overwhelmed by the Lord. I felt like God showed me a picture of my next 25 years, not specifically, but he showed me how beautiful that next 25 years can be with a vision for serving others. In other words, when you think of that chunk of time, for me, I'll land in 25 years at 65 years old. So arguably, those are some of my prime leadership years before I enter into those like supportive role years, all of which are beautiful and meaningful, by the way. There are no years um, that are more prime than others. If you're breathing, God wants to use you, right? doesn't matter if you're five or if you're 85. But I was sitting there, and it's, I just felt this invitation from the Lord that, that has just so blessed me today, and I was so filled with joy and passion. Unlike all other joy and passion and vision, when I think of those 25 years as an opportunity to leverage everything that I am for others, that's it to first know and follow Jesus, to lay down my life for my bride, for my kids, for my immediate circle, for my loved ones, for my family, for our church family, for those that God has called us to walk with, for our community and for God wants to do, for what God wants to do in the world. There is no other path to blessing. That is the only path to continued blessing. The disciples, when you really study the context here, it takes even deeper meaning because in this moment, the disciples were actually fighting with one another. One of the beautiful things of scripture is different gospels show us different things that were happening at the same time. So at this same dinner in the gospel of Luke, Luke talks about something else that was happening at this Passover meal. Jesus had just shared communion with them and he said that someone was going to betray him. And then in verse 23 of Luke 22, it says they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would betray him. Then a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Ah, humanity. <laughs> Me, myself, and I. Insecurity, fear, positioning, selfish ambition, ego, worry. Jesus just shared with them the first communion. Jesus is about to go to the darkest moment of his life to redeem all of mankind. <laughs> His hand-picked team, the ones that the father told him to call to himself, are fighting and bickering about who is the greatest. They're positioning. When you're fighting about who's the greatest, it's always fear-based. It's based in insecurity. It's based on not knowing who you are. It's based on misunderstanding. And I'm telling you, our families, our places of work, and our churches get filled with these same problems. Thankfully, this gracious God, he allows us to partake of communion, be a part of the most beautiful thing he's doing in the world, while at the same time, we're standing over here fighting with somebody. And this is true of all of us at times, but it gives us an incredible insight about what to do with that. You see, you're in good company if your company 
if you wrestle with this, you're just like the disciples of Jesus. You, in fact, are called to be a disciple of Jesus. And it gets even more profound when we realize that at that time, anytime someone would come into a meal to have a dinner, there would be someone there to wash their feet, the, lowly, the lowliest among them. For whatever reason at this dinner, that had not happened. And every disciple chose to walk by the basin and the towel and not take care of the need. Imagine Peter. He knows it's not being done. It should be done. It's high stakes right now. We're with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And he's like, no, I'm not gonna wash the feet. James comes by. He's like, no, I'm not. That's for somebody else. John says, no, that's, I did it last time. Someone else can do it. I don't know if he really said that. Guzik says, none of the disciples were interested in washing each other's feet. Any of them would have gladly washed Jesus' feet, but they could not wash his without having to be available to wash one another's. And that would have been an intolerable admission of inferiority among their fellow competitors for the top positions in the disciples' hierarchy. So no one's feet got washed. So in that moment, Jesus grabs the towel. In that moment, Jesus, Son of God, perfect in glory, perfect in holiness, the word of God through which all things came into being. In one of the moments right before his deepest suffering, a moment that he actually asked his father, could this go to anyone else? In that moment, when no one is even seeing him, everyone is missing the mark. His team picks up the towel, picks up the basin, and starts to wash their feet. So I'm telling you, in the midst of tension, whatever fights are happening in your life or in your heart, misunderstanding, insecurity, and fear, number five, Jesus leads us from selfishness to servanthood. And he does this by becoming the servant. So when you're tempted to get jealous, deal with it by serving instead. Wash someone's feet. Wash the feet of the person you're jealous of, if you can. And I don't mean literally. That might be weird. <laughs> Give me those dogs. <laughs> I'm not advocating that. Find a way to serve them. When you're tempted to fight and just prove your way, when you're tempted to, to be right more than to understand, wash someone's feet. When you're tempted to judge, wash someone's feet. When you're tempted to compare, wash someone's feet. When criticism and grudges rise up in you, wash someone's feet. When things are tense, wash someone's feet. When people are angry and fighting, wash someone's feet. Charles Spurgeon says, it is easy for us to criticize those with dirty feet instead of washing them. In the world, they criticize. This is the, busy, the business of the public press, and it is very much the business of private circles. That sounds prophetic of like all social media to me, especially things like Twitter and the most, the ones that can be so toxic. It is the business of the public press to criticize the news system. It is, the very, it is very much the business of private circles as well. Hear how gossips say, do you see that spot? What a terrible walk that man must have had this morning. Look at his feet. He has been very much in the mire, you can see, for there is the dirt upon him. That is the world's way. Christ's way is very different. He says nothing, but takes the basin and begins to wash away the stain. 
Do not judge and condemn, but seek the restoration and the improvement of others. And very practically, Jesus models two motions for us in this serving. He was sitting down enjoying this lovely dinner with his friends. And to begin this process of serving, he had to get up from his place of comfort. He had to actually get up from the meal and wrap this towel around his waist. And then after getting up and leaving his place of comfort, he had to stoop down as the lowest among them and grab the dirtiest parts of them and cleanse them. So as the team comes back up, I have two questions for you. Have you accepted the cleansing of Jesus? This is the first and only essential step to the blessing of God, and it's a free gift. But we need to be like Peter, and if we first have the inclination to say, no, you can't wash me. You don't know these dirtiest spots. You don't know how I've run the other direction. You don't know. Jesus would say to you, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Jesus says to us today, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. It's up to you to say what Peter said. Okay, Lord, then don't just wash my feet, wash my head and my hands, wash everything. This is why the symbol of baptism is so beautiful. By the way, we're doing baptisms in just a couple weeks. If you haven't been baptized, we would love to baptize you. Please let me know. We would love to hear your story and what God is doing. This is the gospel. And it's in this cleansing that we accept from Jesus that gives us the new heart that is empowered to then do the second step, serve others. How many of you guys know we need a new heart to care about the well-being of others more than our own? We are some selfish son of a guns. We are resilient in our selfishness. We are more proficient in selfishness than anything else in our life. Have you, are you willing to admit that with me? We are drawn to that so quickly like a moth to a flame. So it is in receiving cleansing that Jesus gives us a new heart. That's what scripture teaches. And all of a sudden when we see the dirt on everyone's feet, because let me tell you, in this room we've all got dirty feet. I've got dirty feet. You've got dirty feet. The longer I live, the more I feel like I've got the dirtiest feet. I really do. It's like you see your own grime. And I'm telling you, as you pursue the Lord, as you get closer to him, the more you see yourself. But it even more overwhelms you because in that reality, you've received the forgiveness of God. He cleanses you completely. He's not, he's not turned off and running away from your darkest, ugliest, dirtiest, smelliest, grimiest spots. So the second question is, how is your heart to serve? Are you stuck in selfish living? Or are you blessed and happy in serving others? Would you like to move towards this blessed life that Jesus spoke of? A life that is full as you serve others, even in the midst of tension. Don't hear this wrong. It's not that conflict goes away. That's why there's conflict in the church, because we're all people with dirty feet. Conflict is still there, but it gives us what to do in conflict. Wash someone's feet. How is God calling you to get up from your comfort and to stoop down to be the lowest in the room. Who is he calling you to serve? How is he calling you to engage in serving your loved ones, in serving our church family, in serving your neighbors, in serving our city and our world? You have gifts that are needed in the kingdom of God. So Lord, we just come before you today, just in awe 
of you, God, in awe of you, God. You are so matchless, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the bright morning star, the beginning and the end, the one who holds all power comes into our world as a man and serves us. Thank you that you are our Savior. Quite literally, we would just drown without you. We'd be stuck in our shame and guilt without you, Lord. So thank you for being such a wonderful Savior. And if you're here and you don't know him as Savior yet, just tell him right now, I want to know you as Savior. If you've been around church stuff and have heard the message, but it's never turned into doing Say, I want to know you as Savior, and I want to do what you teach, Jesus. I want to be an actual follower. I want the life change that you talk about. I want this blessedness that you talk about. And and therefore, I also declare you as my Lord. And church, you might have done this a thousand times in your life, 10,000 times in your life. Let's do it again right now. Jesus, you are my Lord, my King, my Master. And I want to follow your ways. Teach me your ways. And therefore, I say yes to the call to get up from my comfort, get up from my selfishness, get up from my vision for just me and me only. And I'm going to put on the towel and I'm going to get down as low as I possibly can. And I'm going to serve the room. I'm going to serve my peers. I'm going to serve those that are parallel to me, above me, or below me. Whatever it may be, I'm going to get down to be the lowest. And I'm going to serve. So I say yes to your invitation, Lord, to this blessed life. And I thank you that you're my Savior and my Lord. Can we stand together, church? Some of our prayer team is going to come to the front. You can come and pray with any one of us as we sing this song. But I invite you, don't look at the time. Keep your eyes closed. Let's press in to what God is saying to us. Let's press into the truth that the Holy Spirit is here. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to respond to him. He wants to fill you. Jesus, the living God, the risen Christ, is drawing you. So let's respond together and lift up our gratitude. In Jesus' name. If you could just keep your eyes closed for a minute. You know what it's called when we shift from our selfishness back to servanthood before the Lord is repentance. When we repent of the vision of me and accept the vision of we, the vision that Jesus has for us. When we repent of just project self and we take project others and us. So it's a moment of repentance before the Lord. So if you're with me and you're wanting to to mark the moment as a church family too and say, these 25 years and beyond I want want a new vision I want your vision Lord I want to return wholeheartedly to your vision how I can make myself the lowest in the room and leverage everything I have for the sake of others I'm telling you guys it will change everything in your life let's raise our hands together If you're not comfortable with that, just lift your your heart up, lift your voice. And we're going to sing this chorus as just the moment of saying, thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being our Lord. 
and it's a moment of repentance. And as a church family, it's saying, wow, we're thankful for this moment as a church. We're thankful for what you're doing here, Lord. We're thankful for the people that are here. We thank you for the team. We thank you for the growth. We thank you for people meeting Jesus. We thank you for restoration of families. We thank you for the building and the land. We thank you for dreaming about the future and expanding and not just for the church, but but doing uh, things that benefit our city, leveraging ourselves to go low in our city to serve for this next 25 years and beyond us, Lord. It's not about us. It's you. It's you, Jesus. May we serve our neighbors, our city. May we have a vision that comes from you in your heart, Lord. We commit ourselves to that. For our families, I think there's some people here that God wants to just renew your vision for your family. He just wants to reframe this for you in a way that's overwhelmingly beautiful. In ways when you thought it was the end or hopeless, he will reinvigorate new life and passion and possibility. I pray that for you. Let's thank him for all these things and sing this chorus again. I throw up my hands. So that I have is a hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I know it's not much. I've nothing else fit for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah. Let's just sing it one more time, church. Lift your voice. So I throw up my hands. pray the benediction I think there's probably a lot of us that need the reminder and the encouragement that the significance of your life and what you have to bring your part in the church the kingdom your family your job just life has nothing to do with your gifts and your abilities and performance has nothing to do with your ability to measure up or work the hardest or be the most talented or figure out how to make the best big business decisions. It has everything to do with you stooping to be the lowest in the room. And the lyric says it well, I know it's not much. It's okay to say, I know it's not much, but I have nothing else fit for a king but then to come and serve. And I'm telling you, church, this is the only path. It is not the only path to the blessing and the joy that God has for you. It's the only path to your most significant contribution. Don't fool yourself. You will not be the most effective by trying to be the best. You'll be the most effective by serving the lowest. 
we just thank you for your counterintuitive kingdom, God. I'm going to pray this benediction over us, and we'll be dismissed, guys. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great rest of your day.